Hello, hello, this is Allie Decker, and you're listening to the Long Game Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Emma Samasco. I've been in Emma's fan club for over five years, ever since I started my very own freelance writing career. Emma is a content marketing consultant at Stories by Us. She helps companies create long-form content, case studies, and web copy. She's also a coach for freelance writers and co-hosts the Freelance Writing Coach podcast with Kaylee Moore, another friend of mine that I recently hosted here on The Long Game. In this episode, Emma and I discuss how she creates awesome case studies for her clients, the merits of content journalism, and why creating a podcast is both important and fun. Without further ado, here's Emma. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk with you um, about all things freelancing, um, owning your own business, and all that stuff. So I'll go ahead and get started. I like to start with this question because I feel like the answer varies so much between folks. Um, but what does your journey you know, into content marketing look like? Yeah, so I feel like my journey started purely as a writer. So in college, I studied English. I studied creative writing, um, which actually I feel like is a pretty common entryway for many people that get into content. They knew that they were good at writing. Um, For me, even though I studied poetry in college, I was always like, I always grappled with the fact that it (laughs) this sounds horrible about poetry, but I was like, this isn't useful enough. Um, Yeah, like... And, and I do still love writing and reading poetry, but I felt like there must be some other application for the, for the skill of writing. Um, and so when I graduated college, I taught English in South Korea. And as part of that job, I wrote English language textbooks. And I recognized that, oh, it turned out I was really good at writing English language textbooks, which was, you know, a further application of my writing skill. And so when I came back to the States, um, I got a job at a content marketing agency. And that's when I first learned about the term content marketing. Um, from there, I went and I worked in-house at a tech company where I learned more about things like SEO and, you know, other channels, uh, other marketing channels in and outside of content. And then um, I started to do content marketing consulting and content creation as a freelancer. And that's where you started Stories by Us, right? Yeah, yeah. And it used to be Stories by Emma when it was just only me. These days, I I changed the name to Stories by Us because now I sometimes work with contractors who help me with the content writing or I hire designers. So when I do a case study, for example, I offer design services as part of my package. And I, I also felt like it's not just about the business isn't just about me. It's also about the clients that I serve. So I wanted a name that felt more inclusive, right? Like if, if you and I are working together, Allie, it's us that are doing it. It's not so much, you know, uh, <laughs> me being the writer. Yeah. So where, when did you transition from being kind of a catch-all freelance writer to focusing on case studies? And I saw on your site, you do other long-form content as well. But when I first kind of met you on the internet a while back, it was mostly case studies. So how did you pick that niche and then I guess expand from there? Yeah. So I've always done long form content. That's sort of where, where I started out. And that's what I wrote when I was in house. That's what I wrote at the content marketing agency. I wrote long form articles. And when I started as a freelancer, I had a client who basically was doing a lot of case studies and 
they were an they were an agency client and so they were working with a number of different companies and they were doing the interview and then they would pass me the interview and I would basically write up the case study and I just loved doing them. Like I loved that there was a narrative structure to it. It felt like storytelling um, in a way that writing blog content doesn't really. Um, So I got to sort of tell the story. And then the other aspect that I really, really loved about case studies is that um, I wanted to talk to the people myself. So my client was conducting these interviews and I was like, I want to be doing the interview. I want to be talking to people. I want to find out about the value they're getting from products and services. I want to find out about their story of their work and their life. Like I was just so interested by that. Um, And that's sort of the, the journalistic side of it. And in fact, even the long form content, um, and the, the web copy that I write today outside of case studies, I integrate that into my process. So like, I think what separates me a little bit from the average content writer, I would say, is that I am often interviewing subject matter experts to get their insights to then turn it into content. Or I'm taking, you know, t- types of existing content and and turning it into something that that is written and can be used for a wider audience. Um, and so that's led me to do ghostwriting projects. Like now I'm working with a lot of um, founders, executives, um, venture capitalists who they want to get their message out into the world. They know what they want to say, but they maybe don't have the 10 hours to write a blog article about it. So it's kind of led, I, I, I went in with case studies because I enjoyed them, but then it allowed me to start offering some different types of services that added an interview component. Um, um, which not all writers want to do. They or not all writers enjoy that part. So, what would you say is the most important skill or two skills? Oh, hi, cat. <laughs> um, what would you say are the most important skills from transitioning from like a purely research driven content writer, content marketer to more of that journalistic approach? Because I know content journalism is now a more commonplace term. It's something that I myself have always baked into my writing process. It seemed commonplace to me, but I know it's for some folks, it's more revolutionary. So let's say someone wanted to transition into that, that approach to writing. What would you say are the most important skills? Yeah. So I think there's two that come to mind. One is kind of like project management skills, because there are a lot of moving a lot more moving pieces when you're doing a case study than if you're just doing like a research driven article, let's say, um, in that like you're relying on other people, like you're relying on your client to give you a customer to talk to you. You're, you're relying on the customer to schedule, um, a conversation with you. You are relying on yourself to get the, the different parts of the project done to create, to create the the questions and to make sure that that customer that you're interviewing feels like really well taken care of and that the experience is like super professional. So there's kind of this project management slash client management side that I think like you need those skills. You need to refine those skills. Um, It's almost a little bit more like being a salesperson or something um, in that you're you're just like the, or an account manager, I guess you're like the face of the brand. And that's really different than doing a research driven article. Um, and then the, the second aspect that I think is important is, um, what was I going to say here? Okay. So I said, I I know I'm like, Oh, what was I thinking? Uh, so like the client management and the process management is the, Oh, I know what I was going to say. It's just interview skills. So like it is like, it took me a long time to 
develop case study interview questions that were like guaranteed to get the get, to get a good story out and to know like when to shut up on an interview. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that that's that's a big aspect of it of like knowing the questions to ask, knowing and also like remaining in control of the interview. So like sometimes you're talking to a customer and they just like spew on, much like I am now, right? And and you're. Well, yeah, but like you're in a position where you're like, okay, Emma, let's switch gears. Like you have to do that. Um, you have to do that fairly often. So it's like this, this, when you're doing interviews, you have to be like very, um, gentle with the person that you're working with and also make sure, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So how do you manage, you know, obviously with a case study, it has a lot of potential business value. You want to get, you know, the value for your customer, or I guess for your client out of their customers. How do you balance that with also getting that narrative, getting that story? And, and how do you do that through your questions? Yeah. So I would say that, um, well, first, when I'm working with my clients to define like what is like why are we doing the case study, I try and make sure that we're always doing it with a goal in mind. So for example, I'm like, okay, um, you want to do three case studies and your goal is to give them to your sales team so that at this point in the process, it helps them like close a deal or, you know, um, further convince the prospects. And then let's think about who are those prospects? Like, are they, are there three different services that we want to highlight? Are there three different personas that we want to highlight? Um, and so I try and get those things nailed down. So it's like, okay, we know that we want one case study to focus on um, salespeople, we want another one to focus on marketers or whatever the use cases are, right? It, it varies from company to company. So I say that like, it's really important to start there. And then the way that I think about it is a case study is essentially showing the transformation of where someone was before and where they are afterwards. And so I actually find that it's not difficult at all to, to create that narrative arc when you ask questions that are sort of getting at the like, first I say like, well, what were the challenges that you were facing? Like, why did you need to use this accounting software? And they're like, things were a mess. Like, or we had an accounting software and it didn't have this feature or we onboarded a new um, bookkeeper and they couldn't figure it out or whatever their problems were, right? And then it's kind of like, okay, so like, how did you try and solve that uh, before finding this product? And they might have more information of like, we tried this other software and it also sucked or we tried to hire this person and that didn't work either. Um, and then they're sort of like, okay, well, like what, then you found the product and tell me about like your journey to finding that product and then tell me about um, what it was like, you know, implementing it and all of that stuff. And then finally you get to like, well, what were the results? Which is the end of the story. Like, where are you today? Like, and that's usually like, hey, we have a accounting software that works really great. It has saved us X hours of time or whatever it is. So I think that in the interview, I sort of try and capture just the linear story of like the, there was a challenge, you found a solution to that challenge, and then there were results from finding the solution. Um, and, but I'm not trying to direct that conversation too much. And then it's kind of like, once I have had the conversation, then I can look at it and say like, okay, what are the most important parts of this that I want to pull out? 
And when I, I, I guess the other thing I'd say is when I go into the conversation, um, I often have an idea of what their challenges were or what, how they're using it. Because with every case study client that I work with, I'm holding like a kickoff call where I'm like, okay, tell me about this customer. How are they using you? What are the benefits that you think they've gotten? Where were they before? So that like the questions that I create um, are, are designed for that client in particular. Yeah, so you yeah. can have some knowledge. Um, do you find that being like a, I don't want to say third party, but I guess like a more of a contractor relationship with your client, do you find that that affects the conversation with their customer at all? Yeah, so I do, but I think it's really positive. So sometimes people ask me like, especially if they're a solopreneur. So like, let's say they're a freelancer and they want to do case studies with their clients and they're like, should I conduct the interview myself? And I'm like, No, I find that what happens is people are not as honest when it's somebody that they have a relationship with. And you might think like, that's good. They're only going to say good things. But they, what I've noticed is that they are a little bit more closed with how they talk about things. Like they don't feel as free to kind of share it all. And these stories are good. I mean, that's why we're interviewing them for a case study. Like I usually have us, uh, time at the end where I'm like, hey, is there any feedback that you want me to share over the team, things that you don't like about the product, whatever. But um, I just feel that people are like, oh, you're a third party, so you're not going to like be offended. Yeah, like you're not going to be offended when you when I say like, oh, the sales process was wasn't as smooth as I liked when you're talking directly to that salesperson, right? Um, I feel like as like your clients probably appreciate any feedback that you can give them too. Because they might get more from you than they ever could from that client, or at least more like candidness. Oh, I provide all my clients with um, the recording of the interviews I conduct, as well as the transcript, so that they can then go into those and and take whatever they want from it. Like they can find the find feedback if they want, but they often are finding testimonials that um, they can they can then use in other areas of their site. Right, so like it's multi purpose. I do. Th- I do think that sometimes my clients are like not interested in the constructive feedback, I would say. Like they're like not not necessarily like in a terrible way, but they're like that's not really like the purpose of of the call. Like we are happy if they have like some constructive feedback, but like don't, you know, spend 30 minutes on that. And I think some of that is just how I'm positioning my services as well. Yeah. I feel like though any constructive feedback is so valuable. And especially if they're getting it from like a, if they're getting it inadvertently, like other, in other ways, like their sales team maybe wouldn't have gone out of the client. Like I would love to hear all of that stuff. Um, but I know what you're saying about like the way you spend your time and how you package everything. Um, so what is your favorite and you don't have to use like client names or whatever, but what's your favorite project been so far? Maybe the most, Oh my gosh. In my life. Well, okay. I guess that's a hard question. <laughs> I guess like we'll go. Yeah. I guess your favorite case study ever. We'll, we'll, we'll narrow it down in that way. Yeah. So I, well, I I can tell you, like, I think I would say like my favorite type of project. And I think that will, that, I mean, I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, I'm like my favorite project ever. I've done so many cool projects, but I really recently I've been doing case studies for really small businesses, particularly like freelancers and solopreneurs. So like, let's say you're like, I don't know, a very small marketing agency and you're getting started out and you know that you need case studies to kind of prove your value in the space. 
And I find those to be really fun because I'm basically creating the first case studies from scratch. I know how valuable they're going to be. Um, I feel like those are the most fun because there's like a lot of place to there's like a lot of space to play. It's not like I'm working from like some template that they already have. Um, they're really excited about getting these stories out there. And I think what I love about it is like there's so much impact from that case study that that doesn't exist if you're writing like case study number 25 for a software company, right? Like it's it feels like it's really going to make a big difference in how, you know, a really small company is able to sell their products or services. So what time frame do you typically encourage those businesses like to get to what what length of relationship do you typically um how am I asking this? Like how long encourage someone to work with someone before you start that case study conversation. Yeah. I would say like, as soon as there are like any results to speak of, um, it, it depends, it depends on like what, where you, where you are as a business. Right. Um, but I think that it's like, as soon as you have like really great results that you can share, like do it. The case study can always be updated in like a year. If there's, if there's better, um, there's, there's better results or something. And, and the hope is that there will be, but I, I always tell people like, it's better to have the case study that the none at all. So, you know, if you, if, if the person like it was just onboarded onto the software, let's say, and they've only been using it for a month, like a case study doesn't make that much sense maybe because they just haven't gotten the results. So in those cases with software, you might need more like six months. Um, but again, it's like, well, when do you feel like, they've crossed a threshold where like there are some results worth sharing. So do you find, or have you had any feedback from your clients that kind of building that bridge to the client and starting the case study conversation, do you find that plays a role in retention at all? You mean like retaining their, their retention for them and that customer or that client? Yeah. I think that it depends how the clients manage it. So I think I think a lot of times when the customers are asked to do the case study, it's like they, especially, well, this is like, especially the case with like earlier stage companies where like they have a relationship with these customers um, that's really like ongoing. It has a face and those customers definitely like feel like this company is like fairly new, but because I'm a new, I I'm like such an important customer to them. They really have my back. And, and this case study is like part of them, like really investing in our relationship. And those companies are often the ones that do want that constructive feedback, just like we were talking about. So the customers feel like really honored to be participating in it. Um, I think they also feel like, um, they're able to share their story and their successes. And what I tell my clients is I'm like, the story isn't about you. Like, yes, I realize that your services or your products helped them get the results, but like, we want your customer to be the hero of the story. We want to celebrate their decisions, their successes. Like, it's not about like your amazing features necessarily. It's about like what they got out of it. And so oftentimes when customers then see that and they're like, wow, I really am getting so much benefit out of that. Like, look at me. Like, if you, if there was a case study about me um, choosing a new software and all the benefits that I got out of it, that would be like really awesome to share with my boss and be like, look what the results that I got from, from, uh, migrating to a new software. Right. Um, so I think, yeah. So I think that, that actually, um, is, is a big part of like customer goodwill, I would say. Yeah. There's lots of like benefit layers to that. Um, 
and this is just me out of curiosity, how does it differ to do a case study for like a software company versus like you said, those solopreneurs or freelancers? Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's really similar because I'm still trying to tell that narrative story of like the beginning, middle and end. I think with software companies, sometimes the results are like a lot more clear. Like it's like, okay, like we implemented the software. Our team likes it way more. We're saving tons of time. We're able to like increase sale. We were able to increase sales because we used it. Like they're tracking those software companies are often tracking those metrics. Whereas the freelancers, like it might be more like they're working on a project for somebody that they're, they're, they still have a relationship with that client. Um, it's like, I would call it like more wiggly. Like it's, it's like harder sometimes to come up with a narrative of like, they might not have been struggling that much before they found that person. Um, they might. So sometimes I find that it's a little bit more challenging to pull out a narrative thread with the solopreneurs and freelancers. Not always, but but often. And that's just sub- because of the because of the nature of the work they do, particularly with metrics. Like, and so what I encourage there is I'm like, okay, well, are you saving them time? Like you are because you're doing work they don't have to do. So like how much time is being saved? Um, that's like a metrics we can point to, even if they they can't necessarily say like I don't know, having Emma write these blog posts generated X more sales for us or something. So do you find that it's easier to work with like hard numbers or do you also enjoy kind of those qualitative? Both. Yeah, both. Like it doesn't matter to me. Like the qualitative ones are fun because, or quantitative rather, the quantitative ones are fun because you're like, oh my gosh, these like results look so amazing on the page. Um, but the qualitative stories are also really fun to tell and they often have like more of a, their impact is on things that maybe you can't like quantify easily with a number, like how good someone feels, like how much happier they are at work, like those sorts of things, which I think they're equally important. And it's really important that we, um, give credit to those things as well. Right. Because like, there's so much of those softer things that are important in in our business life too. Yeah. That's so true. Well, I didn't plan on going down the case study rabbit hole so far, but I'm really glad because I I've been writing a few too. So I've just been so curious on how you do it. Um, I want to pivot a bit and talk about another project that I know you and Kaylee have been working on the freelance uh, writing coach podcast. I have been following both of you all since I started freelancing like five, six years ago. Um, So you're two of the most qualified people I know to do it. And I've loved listening. Um, Tell me about how that, you know, started and came about what kind of, I don't know, inspired pulling together a podcast. Well, I'm smiling here because it's like, this is like, I mean, I feel like this is one of the most exciting things I'm working on now. I love hearing that you've been following um, us for for that long. We have been following you as well. So it's awesome that we're having this conversation. But like, so the relationship with Kaylee is like one of the most important in my personal and professional life because I met Kaylee on Twitter like many, many years ago, and she had barely started a freelancing business, and I was working in-house, and I hired her as a freelancer, and like our relationship kind of blossomed as 
you know, as, as friends basically, but she helped me when I decided I was going to start freelancing. We've like helped each other for the extent of our freelancing careers in various ways. Um, we hosted a business retreat together a couple years ago, which we would love to do again, but we want to wait until COVID is less of a, less of, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, we had such an amazing time and we, we hope to do that again. And, you know, we talked for a long time about like, hey, what should we do next? And the, the funny thing is, is that the conversations that Kaylee and I have, have on the podcast are conversations that we've been having for many years. And we were like, maybe we should just have these conversations in a podcast. And Kaylee had experience doing a podcast because she did the creative class podcast with Paul Jarvis. And she was like, hey, what if we just did a podcast and surprisingly, and maybe you know this, creating a podcast, it's not as much work as like I thought it was going to be. Like it's, it's like, I, I thought it was going to be like this totally onerous thing. And maybe it is if you don't have an editor to help you out. Like we, we, we have an editor. Yeah. Like we have an editor that, that helps us. And, and also like I had been doing YouTube videos for like, for my own personal stuff. And those are like videos are so hard. You have to get so many aspects of that. Right. And so I thought a podcast might be kind of like that, but it wasn't. Um, and so like Kaylee and I are just so enjoying getting to have these conversations about freelancing and like, not only do we get to have these conversations with each other and that's so fulfilling, but we're also like finding that we're able to connect with more and more people that we want to hear from and provide more and more value and resources to people, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. I feel like similar to how we try to do the long game, but, but the podcasts that are less scripted seem like the, the most valuable and they're, they're less work. Um, I mean, obviously you have to get in front of a mic and have some thoughtful conversation, but like, I am ironically, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. I'm not a huge podcast fan. (laughs) I would rather listen to audio books. Like I love fiction. Um, and I just find that so many are just so canned, which is, I know we talked before we got started today. Um, and I feel like folks like you and Kaylee who already have a relationship, like when I had Kaylee on here, it felt like I was just catching up with her and yeah, like, yeah. really valuable stuff came out of it. But like from our experience, which I feel like what we're doing today, we're just hanging out, you know, and like we're talking about stuff that we're passionate about and we're curious about. And like, that's how Alex and David and I try to conduct ourselves on here as well. And I think that's probably why freelance writing coach is so valuable to people. Cause they're like, Oh, I just get to hang out with Emma and Kaylee and hear what they're talking about today. Podcasts are actually very personality driven in the sense that it's like, you know, are these people that you want to be hanging out with? Are you like, it's just like a much more casual mode than somebody giving like a formal business talk. Um, And actually I would encourage anyone who is like doing content in house, especially to consider it. Um, Because so one of the things I've been working on one with one of my clients is actually helping them take these interviews they're conducting, which I'm creating content out of and like making a podcast out of the interviews because it's like really great stuff and it can be repackaged and repurposed as podcast conversations. So I think there's a lot of room for that in the content space. I used to be afraid of it because I was like, a podcast is so much work. It's impossible. I don't know anything about audio and sound, but I think it actually is like a viable channel and it's not necessarily much more difficult to add it. I mean, many, I think many content marketers, their plates are full with like a zillion things. They can't even think about it, but. (laughs) No, I know what you're saying. I mean, we, 
I know this interview is not about me, but I'm having, no, please. I'm having a relevant no, no, it's a conversation. Right <laughs> no, it's a conversation between yes, the two of us. So please, like, um, I, yeah, yeah, please. No, I mean, David and Alex and I, we started the long game. I don't know. I should know this probably like the beginning of the year, end of last year. What a year it's been. <laughs> um, and we realized like we started having interviews like this, but we also have episodes we call kitchen side, which is like you know, behind the curtain, back of the house, like, what are we doing? How do we do it? And it started because the three of us would just get on zoom calls and like rant and argue I mean, in a good way. And we realized like, we should probably start recording these and making them into podcasts. And we did. And it's actually some of our best stuff. And people have like come to us from those conversations who want to work with us. Cause they're like, I feel like I know y'all from listening to like how you're talking. Yeah. And, yeah. um, on top of that, we started repurposing those, which I know like Kaylee has a service. So it seems like that's something that you've been doing too. And that content has just skyrocketed past anything we've created out of organic reach. Oh, that's really um, interesting. Because, and like you said, it's like, we're already having conversations with each other, but in the same vein, this content journalism, journalism <laughs> theme that we're talking about, like you talking to a client, us talking to a client, me as a writer, just interviewing an SME there's good stuff in there, you know, like oh, yeah. it comes into play and in how we write our content. But like you said, repurposing the audio, cleaning it up, you know, we've been talking about doing something like that for some of our clients too, because founders, solopreneurs, really anybody these days is so busy and getting on a 30 minute call yeah. is sometimes all they can do, but you can take that audio and run with it in so many different ways. Um, but such a good point you made. So this client yeah. you have, you're already interviewing yes. them, right? Well, I am. Yeah. So they're what they're doing is they have founder. Their founder is having conversations with people, um, and sometimes this is kind of an interesting thing too. Is like you asked earlier, like, does it make sense for like the third party? Like, how do they feel about like a third party? And sometimes it doesn't make sense, and I say so. I'm like, in this, it doesn't make sense for me to be the face of your podcast, for example. Um, or it doesn't make sense for me to talk about these topics because like you're the one with the expertise. So like I'll hang out in the background. It's not like I have to dive into every interview. So in the case of this client, the founder, just like you mentioned, doesn't have a ton of time, is having these like 30 to 40 minute conversations with people he knows in the in the space that he's in, in the industry. And we're creating blog content from that. So it's it's something, you know, share. Like, I, I also think like people just like to consume things in different mediums. Like, I like podcasts, but like, I don't, I read most, I, I read most business content. Like, I would prefer to consume, consume that as a, as a blog article, but lots of people don't feel that way. Same with like videos, like people love watching videos on YouTube, like, Eh, not I'd so much rather read, but I actually may be in the mi minority for that. Like content marketer, like content writers may be in the minority for wanting. I don't know if we're really in the minority, but like people want to be able to get information in different ways. And so like as, as content marketers, if we can try and meet those different ways, I mean, even with like when I write sales pages or web copy, I'm like, even case studies, I always say like, hey, we're going to write like an 800 to 1,000 word narrative piece. Some people are going to read every word. Some people are just going to like read the headlines and look at the little box on the side. Yeah. So our goal is how do we tell that story so that it not only reaches the people that um, read every word, and that's actually, those are actually the easy people to reach, but how do you format it in such a way that someone can skim it and look at it for three minutes and be like, okay, I get the gist, right? 
Um, and I think that is actually like a challenge with all of the content we create in terms of like, do we have headers that allow people to like scroll to the section that that they're most interested in? Um, are we providing audio and podcasts for people that would prefer to listen to the content and and when it wherever all of this lives is it easy for people to find the stuff right like if they if they see that blog article is it then easy for them to say eh, I don't want to read this can I listen to this or, or or whatever the case may be absolutely I know repurposing is a huge conversation right now as it has been for a while um yeah, it has but been. I've had some pushback from clients who are like this is so much repetition and I'm like mm-hmm. I get that. Like on the backside, it looks like just repetition in in a way that's like this. I don't know. I'm trying to explain, but it's like, it looks so busy and it looks so repetitive on like the kitchen side behind the, behind the curtain. But you think about it from like the perspective of the consumer, the audience, they're probably only seeing it once. And as long as you can get it out there in as many ways as possible, that's all that matters. But on top of that, like repetition, isn't a bad thing. Like it keeps things top of mind. And so I know on the creator side, you're having blog posts and audio files and podcasts and interviews and case studies and you know, social media tidbits and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, look how many times the same thing is repeated. But once it gets out there and it gets like published and dispersed, it's not going to look that, I don't know, monochrome. Well, I, I think that I think that what you have to remember is like, it's just... First of all, people often need things to be repeated before they like gain familiarity. Like I think there was some stat and I don't I I don't whoever is listening like don't take my word for this, but like there was some old stat where they would say like somebody needs to see like a brand seven times before they like recognize it. Um like you know, in the sense of like on a billboard or something. And so it's like you may need to like repurpose content in different ways or share the same message in different ways. And like, I don't think that if I see something on a blog and then I see an email and they're about the same thing, I'm like, oh, wow, those people are creative. They haven't come up with anything. Like as a, as a prospective customer, that's not how you think of it. You're like, oh, wow, they're the experts in X thing because they keep talking about it. Right. Um, so I definitely think that like, uh, on the kitchen side, I mean, it's as simple as like on the, if you're th- taking the kitchen analogy further, it's like on the kitchen side, you might have like a bowl of a hundred hard boiled eggs, but <laughs> what the, which I know is like, I'm like, where did I, where did I pull that one out of? But like, you might have a bowl of a hundred hard boiled eggs and yeah, where did I get that? Um, but like for every plate that goes out, there might be like one perfectly sliced hard boiled egg on their cob salad. Right. And that's, I mean, just to say that like it doesn't look what may seem like, oh, my gosh, that's so many eggs may not actually seem that way to the person that is consuming it on the other end. I absolutely agree. Gosh, this has been such a good conversation. (laughs) I had this this one angle ready to go and I was like, no, we're going to go down this. Well, yeah, when I'm talking about hard boiled eggs in bowls, I don't (laughs) I do love Cobb salad. I'm now craving a Cobb salad. There you go. Um. So I always like to ask this, this question of everyone as well. Um, what's one thing you believe about content marketing or freelance writing or whatever that most people disagree with you on? Oh my gosh. So we'll That's go the a, contrarian route. Like a contrarian view. Oh, that's, that's like, I'm like, that's like a really good question. Something that, that I believe that other people don't. I think there's a lot of things 
on freelancing that I could say this for more than maybe content marketing. So one is like freelancers love to talk about getting a virtual assistant. I think it's like the biggest racket in freelancing. Like there's some people that agree with me on that, but I'm like, you don't need a virtual assistant. Like I just, I've tried it. I don't see the value. People have tried to convince me. I'm like, nope, don't see the value. Like I do think there's value in hiring a variety of subcontractors to help with like, with special, special, specialty things like your, your design or hire a social media person to help you with your social presence or whatever. But like the virtual assistant, like, I hope there's no virtual assistants listening to me, like cringing. There are plenty of people that want the virtual assistants. I just like, I don't see the value in it at all. So that's one with freelance writing. Um, I think that, yeah, go ahead. To combat like all the little tasks, do you just have like a really awesome like payment platform or like automations or do you just? Yeah. I just feel like if you, if things are set up well, like it's just not like that big of a deal. Oh, here's another one too, is like, I'm like really against like repeat work. And this is for like, this is would be for content marketing or freelancing. Like, I just feel like people are like so into like repeating their work. And what I mean by that isn't just like they're writing the same thing over again. I mean, like in terms of project management. So like they write a due date in their calendar, they write it on a piece of paper and they write it in the project management software. And like, I'm like, why is it, why are you like writing it down in all three places? I mean, that's maybe not like a good, but I just find that with so many project management tools. And I guess this is the contrarian view. Okay. Now I've, now I've, I've, I've created it, which is that most project management tools are like in the way of doing the work. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you. Oh, so maybe it's not that super. Well, I think that unless you really scrutinize, like, I feel like that's why so so many people think they need a VA because like their jobs are so tasky. Like my favorite contrarian Mm -hmm. view, which I guess can apply to anything, but especially freelancing, you shouldn't have to do eight hours of work a day. And most of what you do should be part of like actual writing and like content creation and research and interviewing and like the meat of your projects. I feel like people fill their days with like tasks and then they start to complain about them. And that's when they go into like a lot of PM tools or like toward the VA angle. They so, like, like it though, Allie. Like they I like it. I think they make, they, they like to feel busy. It's left over from your yeah, like, days, well, like repeating notes in college and feeling like micro tasks. I just feel like I'm sort of like a minimum viable business in some ways where I'm like people like overinvest in loads of tools. Another contrarian view for me is like, you probably don't need that course. There's so many courses out there and they're all horrible. So I, I see again, that's like, a, I, yeah, no, I, like, I, I mean, I know I'm not the only one out there who thinks these things, but I just feel like you know, people like invest in lots of things and they're not really worth it. And they like invest their time in lots of things and they're not really worth it. And my thing is like, well, what's like the minimum thing you need to like do the task and get it done? Like, let's not like bloat out your business with project management tools and like all these tasks. Like, let's make sure that you're delivering what you say you deliver on time and that you have some process here. It's not that I'm not about like, like I use tons of tools. I have a defined process, but I just feel like some people it's like very bloated compared to what I do. So how do you keep up your skills? Like what kind of self-education do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. So I much prefer reading books to taking courses. And this is not just for like content marketing and freelancing, but also um, like parenting. Like 
people love parenting courses. And I'm like, mm, I'd so much rather read the book. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a thing. Like you can take a baby sleep course. You can take a how to feed your baby course. And I'm like, just give me the book. Like that's just a better way of consuming information for me or podcasts. I prefer podcasts for those things rather than like taking a course. I think courses are just like, don't work for me personally. Um, I think the other thing that I think works really well for like up leveling, leveling skills and stuff is like, um, I guess I would call it like mastermind groups or workshops or like community based, like community based up leveling. So like I joined a mastermind a few years ago that was like a a number of other content writers and copywriters and I was in it for like a year and that really helped because I was talking with people and like workshopping ideas. For me, like the way that I up level is collaborating with others and like learning from other people. So if I feel like things are stale and I need help, it's either like I need to hire a coach who can help me like, and I, I have hired coaches for various things over the years, but like I need to hire either a coach, maybe I need to read a book depending on what it is. Um, that's less collaborative or like maybe I need to join some kind of community or, and the community, like I've joined some where they say they're a community, but really it's like a Facebook page. I mean like where it's really like a dedicated Slack channel where someone's running it. And I'd pay a lot more for that than just having like a Facebook group that I'm dumped into. Well, and then you have those like relationships that last a lot longer. So it's like a very potent type of networking. Yeah. And I feel like relationships basically are the lifeblood of my business. They always have been like connecting with people. Um, and like, it's not just like for my benefit as a business owner, but also like, so that, you know, I can help them. Like, I just feel like the re- the relationship part of it is so important and I can learn so much from other people. They can learn from me. So I try and, and find ways to bring those relationships more and more uh, into what I do. And I think it's also important if you're a freelancer and you work by yourself. Um, it's even more important to kind of, to, to solidify those relationships. So this seems like a good, a good stopping point. Um, how can people connect with you? Yeah, people can find me on LinkedIn. You can type in my name, Emma Samasco. I'm sure my name will be in the show notes because my last name is kind of hard to spell. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Emma Faye S. Um, those are probably the best ways to find me. You can go to my website, which is storiesby.us, U-S. Um, and yeah, I think those are probably the best places. You should also listen to my podcast when you're done listening to this one. Um, if you're a, if, yeah, if you're a freelancer, a freelance writer in particular, um, that might be a good place. Yeah.